Throughout biblical tradition and the majority of history, communities of faith included people of all ages together in corporate worship, education and ministry. Hello and welcome to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle. And that's a quote from the publicity for a new InterVarsity Press IVP book by one of the guests on the show this time, Holly Catterton Allen. Intergenerational Christian Formation, Bringing the Whole Church Together in Ministry, Community and Worship is the title of the book by Holly Catterton Allen, Christine Lawton and Corrie L. Is it pronounced Siebel or Seibel, Holly? Seibel. Seibel, yeah. Holly served as Professor of Christian Ministries and Family Science at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee, the home of country music. Holly's areas of interest are children's spirituality and intergenerational issues, and she leads two national ecumenical conferences, Intergenerate and the Children's Spirituality Summit. And I should add that um, we are also about to be joined by my co-host, the Reverend Ian Reed Rido of King's Grace Presbyterian Church. He'll be here shortly. Holly, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, uh, great to have you back again. Uh, and the last time we spoke about um, nurturing children, didn't we? And nurturing children. Yes, we did indeed. So what's your own experience of intergenerational ministry? I didn't have a word for it when I first began to experience it. Of course, I think I grew up in a generally intergenerational church. It wasn't intentionally so, but we were all together and I did know everybody. Um, and that seemed normal to me. Uh, but sometime in my teens, churches began to divide out by children and youth and sometimes older adults and sometimes emerging adults or single adults. And throughout my most of my ministry, we have, I have been part of siloed ministries. But in the 1990s, we were part of a church that began to intentionally look at bringing the generations together on purpose. And so we, uh, it was a church plant and we began with one small group and it was an intergenerational group. And then um, as the church grew, we had more intergenerational small groups, but those groups came together on Sunday mornings uh, to worship together, but mostly everything happened in those small groups. And so that was my first real experience with uh, very intentional intergenerational gatherings with children, teens, everybody there. Our groups were, oh, 20 people. Sometimes they got up to 40 or 50 because we didn't have enough leaders to create new groups. But I began to see something in those small groups that I had not seen in all my years of working in children's ministry. I began to see children praying with and for their parents and other adults. I began to see children and teens ministering to each other, but also to their parents and other adults. And I just, I saw these settings as just being hot houses for spiritual formation, not just for the children, not just for the teens, but for all of us. So that, that was the question on my heart. What is it? What is it? about these intergenerational settings, these, these Christian experiences that grows us up. And so that was my burning question for my doctoral program, but it grew right out of those intergenerational small group experiences. Yes, it's fascinating you describe your background. I mean, my own church background has been many and varied, and I'm always interested when I go to churches to see how they handle the intergenerational issue. Um, some have very strong feelings about it one way, and some have very strong feelings about it the other. Uh, Rita, I'm going to bring you in in a minute. Welcome. To what extent, though, Holly, do you think that our children's ministry is broken today in many churches? Um, that's a phrase that I've run across uh, quite often, that children's ministry is broken. I was in children's ministry for maybe 20 years. I didn't think of it as being broken. I didn't recognize what we weren't doing until I began to see more of this intergenerational way of being. I think 
I would say that we have separated our children so much from all the other influences. And we have viewed children's ministry, at least when I was in it, more as a cognitive enterprise. We wanted to make sure that our children understood the books of the Bible, the story of the Bible, uh, just information, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, the fruit of the Spirit, lots of memory verses. We did a good job of that. We took a school model approach. I had not understood that children are more spiritual beings and that Sunday school shouldn't necessarily be only about the informational enterprise, that it's more of a spiritual enterprise. But I still wouldn't have called it broken. Uh, Ivy Beckwith called it broken. And I've I've sort of uh, felt sad about that because it makes those of us who were deeply involved in that feel like we were part of just a broken system. So adjusting it as I did over the years and beginning to bring in more spiritual pieces. But along the way, of course, an entertainment model came in and that I would I would object to more. I would object to just this Sunday school should be the funnest hour of the week, that kind of thing. It's not that it shouldn't be fun, but that overtook even the cognitive approach. Um, so now I'm, I'm much more interested in bringing in that relational aspect when I teach with children. I teach the fifth grade and we're at my church right now, and I'm following the guidelines of, you know, this information is what you want them to learn today. But my main goal is that they come out saying, I know who God is. God is this. God is, I know God and he knows me. And this is how I see it in this story. This is how I see who God is and what he's doing. So it's changed my outlook uh, all along, but not just my intergenerational journey, but my journey and understanding who children are as spiritual beings as we all are. So that's that's what I would say about that. Yeah, I'm going to come on and ask you about the impact generational fragmentation, I think is the term you use, has on a church in a minute. But I want to bring in my co-host, Rido, who's very good at children's ministry. I, I can attest to this. I've seen him up the front doing it many times with all sorts of strange objects. Um, <laughs> Rito, questions for Holly? Uh, I think, you know, kind of our, the kind of whole Sunday school idea is that it kind of in some ways flowed out of um, kind of Victorian England, right, in, in terms of that kids weren't being educated. So that was the place that that, that happened. But I think it did, did it also buy into some way that that kind of idea in Victorian England that kids should be seen and not heard. And so we'll push them into their own space. Um, but... And we've kind of, in some ways, we've added on to that then with the entertainment, you know, kind of particularly around our individualism, you know, kind of uh, that, okay, how do we not hear them? Well, let's entertain them so so we don't hear them. How, how do we then kind of re-embrace, you know, kind of who our kids are and, you know, kind of one of the things that I've worked in student ministry for a long time and one of the things that I think is really sad is that we see the fruit of the church in student ministry and, my experience has been their Bible knowledge is very poor. Uh, they're understanding the gospel, their understanding of whether they're, if they know God, you know, kind of, and if they're, if, if they're saved, you know, kind of is very, very weak. And, and we have to do basically the job of the church where that should be a time of flourishing, a time of, yeah, I, I know who Jesus is. How, how do we kind of reinvigorate kind of some, some of those things? Great question. need to write about three more books on that. <laughs> I have gone through all these seasons in my life working with children and those big paradigm shifts moving from a cog- just a straight cognitive approach to more of a spiritual approach and then also to a relational approach, but also to the idea that we really, we are inducting our children into a full life of following God. It's their identity. We want it to be their identity, not just information they attest to, that they say, yes, I believe that. 
And that requires more than information. So I want the information there because when you say, I believe in God, you want them to be able to say, to answer the question, which God is that? You know, who is this Jesus? Not just, I love Jesus, but who is this Jesus? So that's part of the cognitive piece. But I do think as our churches begin to re-invite our children back into our lives, we are saying, this is the world of those who follow Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we believe, but this is how we live. Uh, This is my story. They need to be hearing stories of the 10-year-olds. If you're nine, you need to be hearing the 10-year-olds or the five-year-olds. You need to be hearing, when you're a preteen, you need to be hearing the teens who are saying, this is what I'm finding as a teen. This is how I'm living for Jesus now. And if when you're a teen, you need to be hearing those 20-somethings. You're looking at the 20-somethings as though, you know, that's the epitome of all of life. And you need to hear them saying, wow, it's hard to be a follower of Jesus in my 20s, but this is how I'm doing it. And we're never, our teens are never with our 20s. How are they ever going to hear that? Mm. We've got to be together. Jesus was with his disciples and his apostles. You know, they followed with him. They met with him. He, they lived life with him. That's how they lived into following him. So that's the main thing I would change. I would say they've got to live life with us. No matter what we're doing in the kingdom, bring the kids along, bring the teens along, bring a, a, a senior saint along. And they'll say, well, you know, back in the 40s, we didn't do it this way. And then you could say, well, tell me how you did it. And then you'll find out there were some things they did that we could incorporate again. So it's that living life together that I, I think separating out into learning pods over here and then worship over here and then just sending the kids to way, a way to have fun over there hasn't worked well. I want to put in a plug though. I don't want to get rid of Sunday school uh, at all. Uh, people do say, oh, you just want everybody to be together all the time. There is a place, an important place for fairly age appropriate learning, cognitive learning. Um, you know, we don't have systematic a systematic way of studying scripture in, in any other place in life unless your children or you are in a some kind of a, a Christian uh, school or something like that where you would. So that that very systematic learning of scripture is absolutely valuable. I don't want to throw it out and say, let's just all be together all the time uh, learning about the three Isaiahs or something. You know, there, there's there's a time for the adults to, to go deep into that and say, who really did write Hebrews? But probably the four-year-olds didn't, don't need to be in on that. So there's a time for the separate time. But um, I, mostly the way I would help is to bring the generations together in many, many ways. Okay, we'll come on and explore that in a minute, and I'll bring Rito back in too, because um, I've had many enjoyable intergenerational services at King's Grace, including the singing of a particularly silly pirate song, Rito, which involved us all singing Yo Ho Ho. Do you remember that, Rito? You got us to do that. We still we still sing it. It's, oh, it's uh, wonderful. I love it. Yeah. And it's got great actions to it, and all the adults used to love it. Anyway, <laughs> we'll um, put a link to it. We should put a, we'll put a link to it. I'll find it and put it. Yeah, absolutely. It. We should perform it on the next one. Anyway, now, just before we move on, um, Holly, and we'll get into the nitty-gritty, but I want to come back to this, the impact that fragmentation, what, what happens when we separate the generations out? What happens when the, the senior saints don't mix with the junior saints, or if I can call them that, and the children and vice versa? I would say, most importantly, we don't enter the spiritual journeys of one another. And that rich, textured world of of all the ages and how we've been coming to know God in all the varied ways in our lives, in all the seasons of our life, the hard seasons and the great seasons, 
if we're never hearing those stories, the first time something hard happens to you when you're 16 or 27, you think it's the end of the world. And you need people coming alongside you who've also experienced the end of the world as they knew it and help walk with you. Uh, through those devastating times. If you've already heard some of those stories and listened in, you know they're out there. You have confidence that others have made it through and you can as well. So I would say not having the privilege of entering the spiritual journeys of each other. Now, our senior saints need to also be hearing uh, the spiritual journeys of our teenagers and of our children. I think we sometimes sort of dismiss them, say, oh, they're just in a terrible shape. Hopefully they'll come back when they're in their 20s. But actually, if we listen to their stories now, some of the devastating things that our teens and some of our children are going through, we will align with them and say, I get it. I see how life is really hard and you really need us to come around you and walk with you. We can't fix everything, but we can walk with you and encourage you and speak words of truth uh, that the other 14 year olds aren't able to do yet. Uh, so I, I think we will bless each other. It's mm -hmm. not a sided thing. Some One of the myths is that, oh, we're going to do intergenerational stuff so that our children can benefit. Well, that's one reason, but oh my goodness, we all will we'll grow each other up. That's what I would say. One of the most rewarding experiences I had in my Christian life was when I was diagnosed with cancer in my early 50s. Not that I want to go on about this at all. I don't, but I had, I met a wonderful older Christian man, about 20 years my senior, I think, who'd also been through it. And he was such a great help. He'd been there, he'd been through it. He knew so much. And I could, I could probably not have got that wisdom from my peers or or any anyone else so absolutely i can attest to what you're saying what do we know about the uh, the house churches in the first century because um you write about this and this is fascinating presumably the uh, the saints in the in the first century all met together children and everybody as far as we can tell mm. uh, some of the early writings describe some of the things that were happening going to church in the first century by Banks. I've forgotten his first name, Banks. Uh, he's done a lot of the research that needs that we needed to hear what was going on, what was being written in the second century about what had been happening in the first century about the house churches. And we do understand in general that whole households were there. And, you know, Paul's letters say, husbands, uh, love your wives, wives, respect your husbands, children, obey your parents, slaves, obey your masters, those kinds of things. We assume they were all there to hear those things. Uh, the children who may not have been reading wouldn't have known about that unless they were there to hear it. I've often wondered if they were, uh, if they heard the stories of the persecutions that began to happen. Uh, I wonder if they were there when miracles happened. Uh, I assume so. I mean, Paul would come to visit. Peter would come to visit. They would visit. I mean, how exciting would that be uh, to receive letters from these men uh, like Peter who had been with Jesus and a generation later, to be hearing, uh, to hearing from him. He was there. He could have talked with him and said, yes, I was with Jesus. I'm ashamed to say I turned away, but I, he called me back. I mean, powerful stories. So I, I think about those first century experiences. And I think we can recreate some versions of that today when our children and our teens and our 50 somethings hear from our 70 somethings who say, I was there when and someone, everybody knows he spoke and this is what happened. Uh, and they'll say, really? Tell us more. Uh, it's fabulous. And then our kindergartners can say, and there was a little boy at school who was crying. And I went over to him and I helped him and I prayed for him. And we can say, that's amazing. We'll be telling that story to a 
other children and other people for years to come. So it's amazing to think through how the children and everyone was blessed by hearing all those journeys, all those stories. I think expecting a visit from the Apostle Paul would have been terrifying, but but like getting a visit from the bishop, I would have thought. But anyway, um, okay, let's come on to intergenerational worship. Can we call it all age worship? I mean, yes. when sometimes when people mention all age worship, everybody dies for the doors and thinks the noise, the noise, the noise is the response I used to get. The noise is terrible. What are we going to do? Rito, um, how do you do intergenerational worship? Holly, how do you do intergenerational worship? What are some ideas for doing this? Uh, one of the things that we have tried to do is include a kid song in and get the kids to come at the front with instruments uh, and say, and get everyone to, get everyone to participate in it, and but the kids are at the front with an instrument doing that. So we have the little kids talk, and then they they sing a song together, and and everyone has to do it. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I can attest to that. Yes, <laughs> I think I think one of the one of the things that we have just tried to foster, and you have to repeat it all the time, is that it's okay. It's okay if the kids are noisy. It, um, that this is life, you know, this is part of being a family and it's okay. Sure, you know, if kids are screaming their heads off, it's okay for parents to, to go out the back. And But as long as it's not too distracting, you know, when I first started preaching, kids making a bit of noise was really, I found it really, really distracting. Now I don't even, I do I not notice it. at all, mm. except if it's my own kids. <laughs> 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 then it's really distracting, but... I, I, you know, because someone will say afterwards, "Oh, really sorry that you know, you know, the this baby was was being a bit noisy." And so like, I honestly, I did not even notice one one bit. I'm like that too. Once I get started on a, on a sermon or a talk, I'm away. I don't. I just go through the distractions. I don't notice them. I, I once had a little boy. It was delightful when I was preaching. Come up and stand next to me. He wanted to come and stand next to me in the pulpit while I did my talk, and that was fine by me. And occasionally we'd have little interactions. It was wonderful, beautiful moment. Sorry, Holly. <laughs> I love on. that. I love that. I wish when we have very, very large churches of a thousand people, it's less easy to accommodate those kinds of things. But the smaller churches, it's so lovely. When oh, it was beautiful. Oh, yeah. I heard a little kid. Uh, I knew who the kid was because I had taught him a story that morning about um, the lost sheep. And lo and behold, that's what the sermon was that morning. We'd already had our Sunday school and the kid was, you know, coloring or drawing or something. And, the, and then the man who was preaching said about the lost sheep. And she just looked up and she said, he knows that story too. And it was just, I mean, everybody just roared. I mean, she was loud and I loved that, that she was engaging and we allowed for that. And she wasn't embarrassed. The man who was speaking responded to it and he says, yes, I know that story. And I learned that story first when I was just about your age. And we just went on. So I, that's a wonderful piece of intergenerational worship to include everyone as a matter of course, uh, wherever they are, welcoming everybody. Say, we are so glad our first graders are here because we know you're starting school this week. Or we're really glad that our college graduates or our high school graduates are here. They're among us. We know you're starting into a new and exciting part of your life. We're thrilled. And we've had such a privilege of being with you these last many years. And we're still here for you. But acknowledging all the different ones and um, different. We know that there are some new parents among us today. And we just want you to know we're with you. We've been there. Lean into us. We are glad to listen to you. Hold your baby just we're thrilled that you're here. And it's also good to say at that same time, we welcome your children. 
this is a safe place for kiddos. And if they call out, if they cry out, we just want you to know it represents the cries of the world for the truths that we have here, for the Jesus that we have here. And it changes your your orientation when you think of the cries that way. Also, whenever I speak, no matter where I am, um, in some small group setting of say 30 or 40 or, you know, wherever I am, often there's a, a nursing mother there. And I always say the first break, or if I see her before, I just say, I just want you to know it thrills my soul. No event is complete without a baby. And I fervently believe that. And that puts them at ease and they know they're welcome. So that's probably the most important piece. Everyone needs to know they're welcome. Our senior saints, we are so thrilled you're here. You're among us. You have blessed us for these many years, continue to do so. We need you and we want to bless you as well. So that's just a huge piece. That's And you can be saying those things all along over the months and years, including everyone and the people that they see up front, like you said, the children up front, those playing instruments, those leading praise, those reading scripture. Um, if you're, um, you know, like a father and a son uh, saying a prayer or a mother and a daughter, if in your setting, women are allowed to do that. Uh, or it doesn't have to be a father and son. It could be anybody and a son and, and a boy, I mean, two, a man and a boy, a mom and some other child saying we are part of this body. When you're sitting out here, you need to see that those are leading look like you. And I, I just love having all the different ages. Those are some ways that I would include mm. all the generations. Yeah, so much to ask. I didn't really know where to go next, but uh, I want to ask you about preaching and teaching. And you mentioned that Sunday school is still operative. You think that's still a good idea. So what happens in, in your church? Do the children stay in for some of the service and go out, or how do you incorporate them in, in worship then? They are there for all of it except um, the threes, fours, and fives have a something. Now, they didn't ask me. That was already happening when I got there. I used to say, if you want your uh, some of your younger children to go out during the sermon time, you know, that's okay. I don't say that anymore. I don't recommend it because so much more is happening during that time besides three points in a poem. Children like the little girl who said, he knows that story too. Uh, you don't want your children to be in, in big church or the adult worship for the first time when they're 18. And there are churches that have children's worship and they have youth worship. And then when they graduate from high school, they come back and they go, what's this? Uh, It was never their church. The youth group was their church or the children's church was their church. So they need to know this is their place. This is, these are my people and I belong with them. So that all needs to be going on at the same time that, that we're talking about. Let's see, you ask me, what do our children do? Okay. So we still have a place for children to go for the whole of worship if they would like to, but all the other children stay with us. Our babies, there's a nursery, but our babies are with us. I And every single time I sit behind a family with a baby or in front of them, I always, before, after, during some time, I just say how delightful it is to have you with us and always encourage them. You're doing a beautiful job with your children. Um, this is the life their parents live. You don't need to wait until they're seven or nine or 15. This is the, we don't do that with anything else. We just don't. We, they eat with us. We don't say, you know, when you get bigger, you can eat with us. You can eat with <laughs> now. This is what we do. This is our life. Uh, so that's, I look at it that way. Rito, do you want to fire another question? How do you, um, you know, as churches grow, that becomes more difficult, right? Um, yeah, kind of for bigger churches. How do you, what do you think that looks like? 
It is harder for larger churches, especially if you want to send your children out during the sermon. And many, many churches still do that. Uh, And you cannot release 150 or 200 children. It is simply not safe to release that many children at the same time. And so churches have run into an issue. So what they do is they just have a separate children's church for the whole thing. And Mm -hmm. I'm urging the other way. Instead of sending them out all the way, bring them in all the way. And that you know, we've raised two generations now, two generations of parents who've never seen children in worship. And so it's not part of their understanding, like, what do you do with them? <laughs> and and there's this also thing, but, but I can't worship if I have my children with me. Uh, well, I know that feeling when you are trying to feed a newborn and you're nursing a newborn, you got a four-year-old you're trying to feed dinner to, you know, when do I get to eat? I do know that. And yet you don't just say, well, we'll send them off. We'll get Nanny to go feed them over there. You know, you... You have a few years where it's harder. I remember thinking, why did I even come to church today? I didn't get anything out of it. But it's a very brief time. And it still was a delight to have been there. I wouldn't change it for anything. But we do need to be encouraging our parents. Um, It's just the bigger the church, it is harder. And you have more people who are upset, especially young parents who, for them, youth group worked. They stayed with the church. The parents you have left that are still coming to church, that were part of church, youth group worked, children's church worked. And they're like, I want to send my kids to what I had. It was great. It you know, worked for me. I want to say, where are the other 80% of the people who were in your youth group? It didn't work for them. Mm-hmm. They needed to be part of all of us. And that's that's hard for them to hear. But um, we got to start telling some truths here. Uh, it's hard to win that argument. If you view it as an argument, it's really a winning. We need to win them to it. Yes, so that was that was going to be my question. Was you know, kind of, so many people. I just hear if we don't have a, a really good children's program, we won't get families here. You know, kind of, is yep. it? And I understand that, but I still want to foster some with some conviction around. Hey, let's, these are some things we want to hold. We want our kids in because we value them and we think they should be a part of who we are. But and so it's quite, it can be quite difficult to kind of manage the the, the balance between that, isn't it? I like that holding together thing. I would say that the larger the church, the harder it is to be more intentionally and regularly, pervasively intergenerational. I would still start where you are and say, what are we already doing that we're trying to be intergenerational? Some churches are still trying to have large gatherings where everybody eats together. How can you do that where it's more intentional, more mutual, more reciprocal? Well, you can intentionally seat people by color, you know, when they come in, oh, you're green, that means, you know, kids. And then the, the blues are the youth. And then you've got some reds that are younger and you've got some, I don't know, blacks that are older, all the color. You know. So we want all the colors at the table. And so they all sit down and then you've got three or four questions in the middle, things that everybody can answer. What's your favorite ice cream? Everybody can answer that. And no matter who's at your table, you can say, hi, my name is Holly and chocolate. Peanut butter is my favorite ice cream. Now you think that's not very much, but it's a start. It's a start. So whatever you're doing where all the generations are there, how can you be more intentionally intergenerational with it? Not just have the bodies there. That's multi-generational. But how can you be more intentionally intergenerational? Start small, do a few things. Everything you do doesn't have to be intergenerational. Don't feel like if we don't do it all, we're failing. It's not an all or nothing kind of thing. And, you know, of course, you've got to have your... um, Senior staff on on board, you've got to have your ministry staff. If you've got the ministry staff saying, yeah, this guy over here wants to do that, so go ahead, we'll do it. You you really need people on board saying, this is great. We're not going to do everything this way, but we think it's a value we want to hold up. So 
that's what I would recommend. I think I think we've got time for one more question. How can we foster all age storytelling? Ooh, my favorite, my favorite. I think small groups will be the best best way to do that. I mean, you could t- if you do have a Sunday school or a learning time, you could have some mixed Sunday schools and, you know, bring the first graders and the seventh graders and the young adult class together or whatever, and then do the others and say, we're going to have four stories today. And you have four stories, one from each age group. Um, that's, that's more intentional about it. You need to foster ways where it just happens organically. And I would say the very best way to do that is inter- intergenerational small groups. But that that's a paradigm shift. That's the probably the most comprehensive way of becoming more intentionally intergenerational. We were a church plant. We started that way. If you didn't start that way, it's hard to transition to it, but that would be one way. Just mix some Sunday schools for three weeks in a row and do some storytelling. Uh, any, any setting that you're in that several generations are there, have two stories. Ask someone ahead of time, prepare your story on what happened when the youth group went to wherever. And we get to hear, uh, you know, their story. Uh, and then you get to hear a story of a single 50 something who went on that trip and say, we want to hear from this person. So that's storytelling. Or what was the hardest season for you uh, as a, a, a person who follows Christ? Those stories are powerful. Any Look for times when they will work. Mm, that's a great idea, actually. Lots of great ideas. Rito, final questions, thoughts as we close or before we close? No, I think I, I just really value Holly's work and particularly in just um, encouraging churches to, to do well in this area and, and not kind of buy into the, particularly I, I think it's the entertainment of kids in, in terms of saying, hey, the church should be the place where we model God's kingdom and this should be an exciting place. You know, kind of It won't always be fun and entertaining, but it should be the place that we're all seeking for. And I think we're really struggling, people in their 20s are really struggling with community. Yes. Because, and particularly Christians, young Christians are, because I don't think we have modelled, you know, we've got, we've had the youth group, then we've got the night church, but they, they've never really sat down and had a, a meal or a conversation with, with an older Christian who's gone through a divorce, had a husband or wife pass away, and, and re, or had children that have just been very difficult or a job that's been very difficult. And I just think, it's it's to our detriment that we haven't fostered some of those relationships, and I think a lot a lot of people in their twenties and thirties would really, when they do that, they see the value in it, and they say, "Wow, these people! I didn't realize. I thought they were just this old crusty couple kind of sitting <laughs> at the back, you know, being being annoyed by the us not singing singing the hymns that they want to sing." But they are really valuable people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate appreciate your bringing in the 20s and 30s because we tend to think of children and youth, but actually I think our 20s and 30s benefit as much as the children and youth from having the generations together. Those are hard years, hard years. And we've got to hear people who've been ahead of us on the journey, uh, encouraging us and telling us their stories that will encourage us and bless us. Mm, For sure. Absolutely. Holly Caston-Allen, thank you so much once again. Uh, The book from IVP America is called Intergenerational Christian Formation, Bringing the Whole Church Together in Ministry, Community and Worship. Holly Caston-Allen, Christine Lawson and Corrie L. Zeibel are the authors. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes, including Rido and I. Well, they try to. Um, (laughs) Holly and Ian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Ian. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. 
to ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.